Welcome to After the JAG Corps, Navigating Your Career Progression, a podcast for judge advocates leaving military service. After the JAG Corps assists officers transitioning from the military law practice by learning from individuals who have successfully embarked on new careers, providing insight on rewarding professional opportunities, job search strategies, resumes, the value of your military experience, and more. Now, here is your host, Tom Welsh. Today we're talking to John Maxim. It's the only time I'm going to refer to him as John Maxim because uh, of his role, but as a teaser, I'm going to let it go. So, John, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks so much. Could you just kind of give us a rundown of your career as a judge advocate? Sure. I started way back when, got commissioned in 83 in the JAG student program right out of the University of Michigan during the Reagan administration. Back then, of course, you could go to law school just having been commissioned I got commissioned literally the day I graduated from Michigan undergrad. And then I went on to law school, went on active duty three summers in a row. One of my TEMACs, as they used to call them back in those days, was working for Ash Roach, the great Captain Roach, out at AirPack. And Ash sent me out to the Kitty Hawk Cargrew 7 to do an investigation. It gave me more responsibility in that three-month period than, frankly, I ever had in the first tour as a, as a Navy Jag. And then uh, went to justice school, of course. And then I uh, went on to Navy Legal Service Office, uh, Hawaii, Pearl Harbor. Then I went to USS Hunley, AS-31 in Norfolk. We had 18 LA-class attack boats, which were attached. And I had an absolute blast and did just about everything you could do. And then went down and I uh, followed up Pete Pedroza as the JAG down in Panama, My father developed some health issues where he was a Polish immigrant and he had a rheumatic fever as a kid and they didn't send young Polish kids to doctors first generation in Detroit back then. And and that's why he developed heart problems. And of course, I decided I would go home to be with him. I really hated leaving active duty. I was doing very well. You'll remember back then when you got picked up for tap, it was like making admiral. I mean, it was really tough. And I I had tapped and I was ready to augment and I was having a blast. And then came home. I was in the reserves for eight years and joined a law firm. I had a really good time in the law firm, had a lot of fun, a lot of litigation experience in federal and state courts. I had four million plus verdicts. I think my biggest verdict was $6.8 million, which today is kind of what you'd call on the Pentagon budget dust. But back then that was real money in Michigan. And then the anthrax vaccine stuff popped up. The JAG Corps was looking for a litigator to handle this. And I was leaving my firm. And before I decided what I'd really do when I grew up, I was asked, would you be interested in doing this? So I said, sure, for six months, what the heck? So I returned to active duty and uh, was at Code 14, the gunfighters in OJAG, became their deputy director eventually. Originally, I was the uh, litigation team leader. And I would say to anyone who hears this, if any young lawyers hear this, if you can work at OJAG litigation, work there. Made a lot of contacts and connections with uh, Maine Justice. And uh, probably the most important thing I did there, because the flags really empowered me, uh, Admiral Guter, Admiral Lohr, really gave me the authority to uh, really be their lawyer. But the anthrax case rose to prominence And there I was representing Secretary Cohn because it was Secretary of Defense as the defendant and this uh, young Marine uh, by the name of O'Neill as the petitioner. 
And I was up against a chap in federal district court, Western District District of Pennsylvania, by the name of Louis P. Font. Font had been a chap who didn't want to go to war during Vietnam, and he had become an advocate for folks who uh, kind of like to turn their back on the uniform. Amy Hay was the civil chief there and asked me, John, would you like to try the case? And so I actually did the case as first chair, which was pretty unprecedented back then, but it really helped out uh, JAG litigation because it showed the Justice Department that our folks from time to time could do a first chair job for them. And Amy was my second chair, brilliant lawyer. We won the case and that instilled the anthrax vaccine precedent into the system and allowed DOD to enforce the anthrax program, the AVIP program as it was known then. They asked me to stay for another six months. I was happy to do that. And then uh, working with uh, Rear Admiral Steve Horton, working along with uh, Admiral Lohr, they asked me if uh, I would stick around. And so I was the only commander in, up to that point in JAG Corps history to augment <laughs> into the regular Navy. So I, uh, I did it for, I actually had to tap first. They still had, I think, that program. Yeah. So augmented back in. And then Admiral Lohr asked me, he goes, you know, John, sometimes we can be a little weak on litigation. So he asked me if I would become a judge. And the whole idea, everyone was very honest with me. The whole idea was to kind of become a permanent judge. And so it was kind of the growth of a new career path, as it were, to go into the judiciary and help professionalize the judiciary. I went down to Pensacola, and then I went from Pensacola to be the circuit judge out at Westpac in Japan. I fell in love with Japan. And then I left Japan, came and was the deputy chief judge in Washington, D.C. Then I went to Iraq, and I helped out some Iraqi judges at the Law and Order Task Force out there, worked for some truly great Americans, and just had a fantastic time, except the two times I almost got blown up. Came back to the United States, steps, you know, still the deputy chief judge, working for uh, Colonel Steve Day. And then I was asked by Admiral McDonald, would I go to the Court of Appeal? I really wasn't all that excited about the Court of Appeals because it seemed a little mundane. I liked being a trial judge, and I had had some prominent cases whilst a trial judge. It seemed a little boring to go to the Court of Appeals, but they asked me if I'd go. So I went, and what to our wondering eyes did appear, but I stayed there for five years. It was interesting. Um, It was a unique opportunity My chief judge, my first chief judge was uh, later Admiral Daniel O'Toole, and then was Chris Reismeyer. Chris, great guy, really, really good litigator. And one of the most honest brokers that I've ever come across. Chris is good people and and just uh, did a really good job at the court. So these two gents really squared the court away. I went on from there uh, back to the trial bench. The Navy was kind enough to let me retire where I really wanted to retire, which was my true love, which was the trial bench and also in my favorite place in the Navy, which was Japan. So I was returned back to be the circuit judge for a second time. And then I retired out of Yokosuka the second time. I was going to stick around, but a certain career plan came to mind and uh, that that intercepted my future Navy plan. So with this extensive military, courts martial and civilian, federal court, state court, You would think that you would continue on doing something either as a judge or litigation, but it hasn't turned out that way. What is your title now? Uh, My title is father. I'm a Roman Catholic priest. You know, although this, this podcast is to help others discern what their future is, I've obviously 
shrank the potential followers of you, those that are not Catholic, those that are not single, and those that are, are not male. But I, I find this fascinating from wearing the three stripes as a commander to wearing the Roman collar. Well, it's a lifelong story. I knew I was going to be a priest um, when I was about six years old. It was one of those things. I uh, found my first girlfriend and said, boy, we're not going to do that yet. Had a wonderful, wonderful professional career as a lawyer and and a great personal career. Almost got married a couple of times to women I had no business dating. They were way above my pay grade. I had a big decision to make when I was in Japan. I was either going to get married to a, really my best friend or I was going to move forward and follow the Lord's call. And I bit the bullet. It was the toughest decision of my life, but it's been a beautiful thing. I get to help people all the time in ways that are really, um, they're indescribable. And it's made me just such a better man. I studied at John the 23rd National Seminary, the old guys seminary up in Weston, Massachusetts, right outside of Boston. We like to call it John the 23rd National Seminary and Geriatric Clinic um, because all the students are, you know, all had professions, doctors, lawyers, judges, university professors, etc. And so it was fascinating to get to know some of these guys, very distinguished people. And then I uh, was in a parish for three years, uh, about two and a half years two parishes. I was the associate pastor at one parish, a big, huge parish. And then I became the administrator at another parish when they needed to fill in and did that for about nine months. And then His Excellency Archbishop Vigneron, the Archbishop of Detroit, my boss, asked me if I would study canon law so that I could help him with priest misconduct cases. As you know, Tom, as a a Roman Catholic, we've had some issues in that department and we need to get that situation under control with extreme prejudice in the near term. So I was asked if I would uh, study at Catholic University of America, School of Canon Law. For three years, I have, uh, it's like going to get a second law degree. Had to learn Latin, had to brush up on my French, had to, and, and take three years of courses. Next Friday, I'll take my comprehensive exams, which is 12 topic areas with three professors beating on me, and then uh, finish up my thesis which is on penal law, the preliminary uh, investigation portion uh, that precedes a judicial trial, a canonical trial. And then I'll go back to Michigan. I'll go back to the Detroit area. My role will be, I'll have two jobs. My first job will be, I'll be the pastor of a very large parish with 5,000 plus families and a school with 500 kids. And my second job will be uh, helping the archbishop out with cases. You sort of jumped on one question I was about to ask, which is how did your time in the Judge Advocate General's Corps as an attorney help prepare you? But obviously the fact that you've been asked to support the diocese with canon law and becoming a a canon lawyer, that kind of answers that. But I have to assume that having dated and having seen some of the ugliness that our society has to offer and our, and our Navy's drawn from society that you're a little bit better positioned maybe than the young man that feels a calling right out of high school and goes into the seminary. It really does help. One of the things you and I just briefly chatted about earlier was, you know, how's, how can I really help people who are retiring in the sense that my selection of a, of a second career as it were um, is so different than people, but you know, in a sense it's, not 
the great thing that all retiring JAG Corps officers should really, I think, thrive in and should be so happy about is that compared to, to a man and woman, over all of our civilian counterparts, our leadership capacity outguns them five to one. And we really don't see it because we're doing it every day in the JAG Corps. We're naval officers, for heaven's sakes. And as such, we know how to command we know how to be accountable. We know responsibility and we have prudent judgment. It really helps you in whatever you do subsequently. You know, I had a lot of options. People in Michigan were talking to me about, well, you know, we'll help with the governor. We got to get you an appointment to circuit court. I mean, this is going to be great. I had an offer from the Social Security Administration to be a admin law judge. So there were plenty of options out there for me. I agree. Mine's a little more unique. But in a sense, you know, I'm working for the oldest organization in the history of the world. You know, we're the original club. And so for all of our problems, we're also the biggest boy on the block. So that gets us picked on a little too. It's been a real privilege to to work for the boss man upstairs. And I'm having a blast doing it. I've heard this said by other people as far as leadership. Was this something you first noticed when you went into private practice? or something that you only came to appreciate after you retired, retired from the- I noticed it for the first time when I went to, when I went to law school after I had been commissioned an ensign and had already been around naval officers during my summers in law school. And then it was very stark when I had a break in service and spent eight, nine years in private practice. And then it was even more stark after I had served as a senior officer. I mean, when I retired, I was the longest serving commander in the Navy, let alone the longest serving judge. So it was, you know, when I was the iron commander. Um, so, I mean, I, I just would point out that we have unique leadership skills that so many folks don't have. And I'll tell you one of my great joys to this day, I still get letters from folks who were lieutenants when they learned to practice law in my courtroom, now they're commanders. Some of them are captains. And they write me letters, judge, would you do X for me? Would you write a letter for me? Would you? And nothing brings me greater joy. So being able to help shipmates out, all of us get to do that once, once we go over the side. And it's, that's been a, a source of continuous joy for me. So it's great to still be a mentor to some of the folks that learn to practice law in front of me. And I don't say that pejoratively. I think one of the things that makes the JAG Corps very unique in the litigation realm is our judges amongst the judges who are professional judges who do it for more than one tour. Our judges actually care about the young lawyers that are appearing in front of them and teach them how to practice law. I mean, this is what it was all about. And I, uh, I miss that a lot. You're probably the first person that I've spoken to. And, and- Full disclosure, I've only talked to three others so far. And, you know, one of the things that we struggle with is what do I want to do when I grow up? Mm-hmm. But but in your case, you're the first one that said, you know, I always knew I wanted to do this. You're among the lucky because that's that's what we're trying to do is find something as meaningful as what our uniformed life has meant to us. It seems like people that are becoming priests have to discern whether they re- truly have the vocation. And I shared with you in an email that my father went to the seminary and he eventually discerned that he did not have a vocation to be a right. Catholic priest and went out and had eight boys. It was a great gift to the Lord, to the world. We too have to go through a 
period of discernment to figure out what we want to do. And it's easier for us to, okay, this is not what I wanted to do. I'll go do something else. What are your thoughts on how to go about that discernment? Obviously, prayer enters into it, but do you have other practical advice for period people who are facing that conundrum? I realize some of our listeners may not be faith-based, but it's more than just prayer. It's asking the Lord to say, what do you want from me? What's going to fulfill me? What's going to fulfill my wife at home? What's going to let me take care of my children? What's going to be a great example to them? I think being a woman or a man for others and putting service first, I think that's what makes us unique in the JAG Corps and in the greater Navy. As as proud as I am to say I was a judge advocate, I'm prouder to say I'm a retired Naval officer. To be able to say that you were so committed to service, there are opportunities every day as you walk down from your house to Starbucks to be a servant, to help people, to be a game changer. And the talented people in the JAG Corps have the ability to be game changers. I would like to see way more folks that are retired naval officers and judge advocates run for Congress. I don't care which party. Just run for Congress. We are broken. Help us. And that kind of leadership is what's required. Folks that know how to meet in the middle, shake hands and say, I'm going to, you know, we're going to grab a drink after this is over with. I mean, rather than this politically correct nonsense of, you know, we have to stay on our own side of the fence. We're leaders. We're naval officers. Become judges. Become leaders. You know, I'm so proud of guys like Scott Lauer, who are now who's now a judge over at uh, the Veterans Administration uh, Court of Appeals over there. Fantastic naval officer, more in your line of the JAG Corps than in mine, mm-hmm. and just a, a terrific leader. That's what we need. We need con- guys and gals that are going to continue to serve, not try and go out and make a bundle for themselves, although that's perfectly fine to do for a few years, but to serve. And if they'll find great happiness in doing that. I find great happiness every day because I get to bring the boss in heaven into the people, into people's everyday lives. It fills me with incredible joy. I have the best job in the world. I'll let you in on a little secret at seven o'clock this morning. I was over at the shrine of the national uh, of the Immaculate Conception, national shrine of the Immaculate Conception, the Basilica across the street over here in Northeast Washington for the zero 0700 mass. And I got to hold Jesus Christ in my hands at the altar. And then I got to go up to the big church up top of the basilica, and I heard an hour of confessions, helping people grow closer to God. That's a rock star job. And there are other jobs in the civilian world, the civil world, the temporal world that you exist in that you can help people. You can really be a game changer. So I encourage our colleagues who are retired naval officers to be game changers. Yeah, and as I shared with you in the email, I know of at least two other Former judge advocates, both retired, who are becoming ministers as well. And, and they're great Americans, by the way. You know, uh, that character, Johnson, was the CEO of uh, Rilso um, Southeast when I was on the bench down in Pensacola. And he is a fantastic man, married to an absolutely wonderful young lady with fantastic kids. He's got the world right where he wants it. And he's a tremendous man of God. And I couldn't say enough things about him that are good. That, that is, that is 
really good to hear. It's really, uh, it's just amazing to see everybody so happy, so relaxed. I'm having a blast, you know, even though I'm in the last couple of weeks of this program, which by the way, is a root canal without anesthetic, but um, I'm getting along with it. Now, if Michigan has a decent football year, I'll be in an even better mood, but uh, Harbaugh has been letting me down recently. Well, I, uh, I think I probably have maxed out what we should probably be talking to. I, I'm going to give you the chance to have any concluding thoughts, if you have any, for our recording. Captain, it's been a privilege to chat with you. You're obviously a great American. You have a great reputation. I was so pleased when you contacted me. And I'll just say to everyone out there, whether you're Catholic, whether you're Christian, whether you're of any denomination, through the imposition of my hand and the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary, may Almighty God bless and keep you. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe and tell your friends. After the Jag Corps is a TJW 50 Associates LLC production.